yesterday I went out to the Pacific Hermitage, which is a, a small monastery in the, in the Columbia Gorge that uh, we here at Portland Pensadama cultivated, sort of uh, created the conditions for quite a few years ago now, you know, 12 or 13 years ago, we started this small monastery. Our hermitage really uh, has one, now two actually main uh, monks there. And uh, and then a number of monks who come through, traveling through from Abayakiri and sometimes other um, monasteries in North America. I went out for a board meeting on the board of the of the foundation that supports it. And it's in white salmon. I don't know if you know white salmon. It's just this really lovely sort of quaint town out there with the windsurfing and the and the shopping access to hood, uh, not hood. And to get there, you go kind of through the town, past the bakery. <laughs> Why is it a rush? <laughs> so I can't. I know the bakery is good, but I have to there. Uh, past the bakery, and then you sort of take a take a right back out of town. And you're driving a little ways, and the roads become a little sketchier. There's no sidewalks anymore. Uh, the houses are maybe you know. Uh, become a little patchier and pretty soon you hit this uh, dead end sign dead end and then the monastery is way past that <laughs> quite an analogy you know so you can't miss it the sign <laughs> and you know it, it did quite it struck me yesterday so you, so, you, so you drive past this dead end sign, the road gets kind of bumpy and rough. And, and then you're sort of uh, driving at your own risk. You know, <laughs> after that, you've taken you know, the road of no return, almost. Uh, it's technically a two lane road, but nothing indicates that. <laughs> uh, there aren't any rails on the side, all the, uh, the road, sort of drops straight off down the mountain or hill, you know, all the way. And if someone were to come at you, you have to decide what to do. <laughs> sort of stop or get way over. Um, people who live out there know what to do. Some, you know, they understand how much space there is, uh, but I don't really. I came and I'm in this huge minivan, of course, because I got kids and the whole thing. And I'm driving, you know, next to the nothingness. And then this big SUV comes at me and I just stop and figure, well, they'll know what to do. <laughs> and I'm looking and looking and it was a police car even, you know, and uh, this, the police woman, you know, sees that I don't really know what to do. And she leans her head out and she goes, I think I have enough space. <laughs> and she did, she like zipped right past me with all the space. But to me, it looked like we're at the end. <laughs> we're at an impasse here. Someone's got to back up, but we were able to cut through. <sighs> and then just when you think like, oh, maybe it was a dead end, I probably should have taken some other road. There is this small 
you know, nondescript kind of orange nap nature colored sign uh, directing you down this um, hill to the monastery. And uh, and when you when you go down there, you kind of pass this little pond and go over this little bridge. And then it's uh, this really lush, sort of beautiful, um, unexpected scene. The grass is all uh, quite lovely and uh, it's really well maintained. There's this um, uh, sort of good sized but so modest house <clears throat> and um, a patio and a just a good sized Buddha. I always think they positioned it on purpose because you almost hit it, like coming and going <laughs> from the parking lot, which really only holds three cars. Uh, so I was, you know, okay, gotta be really mindful not to knock the Buddha <laughs> over us as I'm coming and going. Everything feels like a test, you know. <clears throat> and, and then, you know, so we offered a meal and then had a meeting, you know, and it was just kind of business after that. Um, but that that moment of passing this kind of dead end sign really stuck with me in a way that it hasn't before. That that this practice, you know, is is known as the path to the deathless. That's what they call it. That's what it's called, the path to the deathless. If you hang around long enough, you'll hear that over and over. It's the path, the Buddhist path is the path to the deathless. And so here's the dead end, you know, and here's the deathless. And then how do we get there? And what is it? What is the deathless? And how do we know that we can go beyond these dead ends? <laughs> There's a lot of doorways, you know. There's faith. That's the doorway to the deathless. So you might come in contact with, like I did, you might come in contact with someone who's been meditating for a while. They seem you know, pretty serene, a little bit of wisdom. Want to know, oh, what have they been up to? <laughs> what are they on about? What are they doing? We get a little more information, practice what they're practicing. Pretty soon. Mind settles down a little bit, pretty soon the body settles down a little bit, um, and you're on the path. Or maybe come in contact with a, a monastic. Now, the, the monks and nuns in our tradition, they wear these orange ochre robes. Uh, you can't miss them. <laughs> if you come across a monk in our tradition or in the Theravada tradition, uh, anywhere in the world, it's, it's very obvious. And one of the reasons that um, the Buddha had them dress in robes and shave their heads uh, and walk, you know, through the village every day um, on the alms round is that, uh, you know, so people would see them and come in contact with the Buddhist teachings. Oh, well, that's different. 
What's going on there? I've got my curiosity is peaked. And then you might see the face, this kind of serene face. Oh, they, oh that's different than what I usually see at the office, you know, or from my kids, from my parents, something completely different. The face of someone who is on the path to the deathless. And that gives rise to faith, this uh, sense that um, there might be a way past this dead end sign. Uh, you know, well, there is a sign, but there's also, you know, you don't, your eyes don't deceive you. There's a sign, but there's also a road. <laughs> like it's clearly obviously a road, but why is there a dead end sign? And I think, you know, as practitioners or people who are investigating, people who are interested and curious, um, we encounter those pivotal moments a lot. You know, there's a stop, but there's also a road, you know? So what do I do? Do I keep going? Do I stop? Is it worth it? How do I know? There's a, there's sort of this concept in our, in our tradition, um, in Buddhism in general, actually, and it's encapsulated in the word samvega, samvega. And samvega is like, um, it's like world weariness. It's almost, almost a revulsion, <laughs> uh, but not a pushing away. It's this feeling that, oh, I've, you know, I've really ridden this ride enough. You know, I've cycled through all these emotions. I've been frustrated by all of these things. You know, I've come back to these places uh, over and over uh, in my emotional life, and maybe physical life, you know. And I'm just over it. I just, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be frustrated by the people at work. I don't want to be irritated by my parents. I don't want to be despondent when I get sick or when a friend, you know, dies or deserts us or whatever, all these things that do happen to people, humans. Uh, and the Buddha says that that, that feeling, that sensation that sometimes arises out of faith, I was talking about earlier, this glimpse is a, there's a suffering, you know, that leads to more suffering. And there's a suffering that leads to search. So that's kind of how I think of that road that has the dead end sign, but it's also clearly a road. You know, there's suffering that leads to more suffering. You know, like somebody hurts us and we hurt them back. That's like suffering that leads to more suffering. Or somebody hurts us and we go, we harden up a little bit. Or somebody hurts us and we're done with that person. We think they're the cause. <sighs> suffering that leads to more suffering. But suffering that leads to search is, you know, feeling those pains of the world and getting curious. I felt this before, but it was in a different form. 
I felt this before, but it was a different person. I felt this before, but it was a different job. Now, at one point I was like, oh, I think I'm the common denominator. <laughs> it might not be you and you and you and you and you. It might be me. <clears throat> you know? And that's when the mind starts to wonder, oh, maybe there's a way out. Maybe it's a road and not a stop sign. And that's part of the reason that we um, meditate with the breath. As you meditate with the breath, it, 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 it's this microcosm of what's happening in the world all the time to us and to our emotions, to our physicality. You know, something is born, you know, this inhale is born, it starts, it lives its life. And it dies, it stops, it ceases. So it's the inhale is born, it lives its life, and it ceases. And then the exhale is born, and it lives its life, and it ceases. When we start to look at that, contemplate it in our meditation. You now we start to see that everything does. Everything has that same cycle as the breath. Every conditioned thing, you know, the human life, the most obvious, it's born, it does a thing and it dies. You know, the plants and animals, but also buildings. You know, this building was born 100 years ago. It's living its life now. It's probably dying now. <laughs> and then it will cease to be. Now it will be taken down by an earthquake or by time or by a bulldozer or something. But eventually this building will cease to be. And when we look at the breath, we see how important that is. You know, if our, uh, if our inhale stopped, It didn't start up in a new form. Well, <laughs> that would be trouble. You know, we'd be dialing nine one one. But when we really, when we really look, we see how natural that cycle is. How it has to actually continue. Um, and then the deathless is not that things don't die. It's that we don't try to hang on to them while they're dying. We don't cling to something being alive when it's clearly has to cease at some point. That doesn't mean we don't take care of things, or we don't look after things, or we don't look after relationships, uh, but rather, you know, we do all of those things recognizing that soon this thing will be done. It will die. It will reach its natural end. And, you know, sometimes uh, Buddhists are mistaken as for nihilists. You know, if rule number one is suffering. <laughs> rule number two is everything dies. <laughs> but rule number three is that we don't have to suffer over it when everything dies. <laughs> so really putting those two pieces together uh, is 
is an incredible is the foundation for getting on this path, staying on this path. Like uh, my hair is going through some rebellious stage. It's just like jumping off of my head. It's falling out in like these clumps almost. I took my shirt off downstairs and I kind of got all the hair off it. <laughs> like, oh, I don't, that doesn't look good when I turn around and like shedding. <sighs> um, and it's, I don't know what it is. It'd be a autoimmune thing or I'm not taking my vitamins or having a bit of stress or it's just doing what it does. <sighs> but these kinds of things with our bodies can be alarming. I was not supposed to do that. I like my hair. <laughs> or I don't like my hair, but I still want it <laughs> right where it is. You know, it's not supposed to be on my shirt or in the food. <laughs> Ajahn Amrup tells us, he gives this lovely, hilarious example about, you know, how we relate to the world around us. And he says, oh, you know, you like, maybe you're someone who likes, you know, likes a, likes a girl and their hair is so beautiful and you love it. You think about it. You kind of want to touch it. And, you know, and then one of those hairs ends up in your food. <laughs> and then you're, dis <laughs> then you're disgusted. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> Get it out of here. That's gross. Yeah. So it's everything in context, right? On your head, in your food. <laughs> Same hair. <laughs> yeah. And then his other example that I really... I really love this stuff. So I heard me say this because it just sticks with me, but glass of water, you know, what does that become? Right? Oh, <laughs> really want this, you know, I might get frustrated if somebody else drinks it. <clears throat> get it back from them, drink it. Well, pretty soon it's, you know, city of Portland's problem. <laughs> it's in the toilet, it's in the plumbing. Will they want it then? Do they still want your glass of water once it's lived its life? No. We cling to things, forgetting that they need to live their life. You know, everything in context, everything on its path. Ajahn Chah says that. <laughs> so you, you don't want to ripen? You don't want to die? How do you like your mangoes? Do you eat them as flowers? <laughs> no. You wait for them to ripen. That's when they're sweet. He said in a talk, if you don't want to die, you shouldn't eat good mangoes. <laughs> Even when they're flowers. You extrapolated it. You know? What are we attached to? What are we holding on to? Here it grows, that means it's dying. A child is born, that means it's dying. Like it's just moving in the natural uh, trajectory of 